Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Clam Bake. Welcome to the Clam Bake. It's a fresh take on a question all this time. If a woman is alone in the forest, will she still be undermined? It's a sorority of equality. It's a bonfire of a patriarchy. Come on, your hands, bring your moms, bring your dads. Come to the Clam Bake with me. It's the opposite of a sausage fest. I'm Angela Golner. And I am Lindsay Stidham. And we want to be better feminists, damn it. Damn it. Each week we interview different guests about their experiences, challenges, triumphs, follies, and follies with feminism. Being a human is tough. Being a feminist is complicated. But our best resource is each other. So let's get talking. Welcome to the Clam Bake Clams. I'm going to reverse it. I'm going to ask you first. Oh, shit. How's your clam? We recorded this once before, but but actually but I fucked up. we didn't record it. So this is round two. Uh, my clam is caffeinated and raring to go because I'm going on a bachelorette weekend. Woohoo! Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I finished some, like a lot of work this week, I feel like. So I feel kind of like I earned it. Uh, yeah, you did. And uh, I'm ready to get crazy. How's your clam? My clam's good. Uh, I've been over dating for me I, I went on three dates in one week for mm-hmm. me that for me that is a ton uh i think i'm gonna take a dating break Uh-oh. um but it was really fun it was a good experience getting to know people getting to know myself better but now for uh gentlemen callers who are listening who are uh, thinking of asking you out because they listen <laughs> where are they no they listen uh <laughs> what are your like what are your no-nos like or or what's to know What's to no no on going on a date with Lindsay? Gosh, I don't know. I feel like I'm like pretty open right now because as I told you the other day, after one of these days, is I'm still trying to figure out what I want. I'm still trying to figure it out after all these years. So mm. I'm like open to a lot of things. Maybe you need to call up Asia and Rebecca. <laughs> help them help you figure out what you want. Yeah, but I do think part of their philosophy is like you do have to date to know what you, want. Know what you want. You kinda do. Yeah. Um, so I'm figuring it all out. And I have to say lately, people have been very lovely about that. feels like we're all figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Lindsay, I have a feminist fuck up. Ooh, tell me about your feminist folly fuck up. Uh, so, uh, I told a pregnant woman she looked fully cooked. Uh oh, was she and she was offended? Uh, well, I don't think she was offended, but like that breaks a lot of my rules. Like don't comment on a woman's body. Yeah. Don't comment on a pregnant woman's body uh i said it and i was serving her i was working at a restaurant and i immediately like went back to the host stand and was like holy shit i just told a woman she looked fully cooked but in my defense i mean not in my defense but here's here's why it's because like to me she looked third trimester and she ordered a glass of wine yeah and um you know pregnant women get kind of weird about ordering wine at restaurants because you know you're not supposed judgment. to judgment. Yeah. Well, you're and like, you know, you're not supposed to drink when you're early in your pregnancy. Um, but like I've heard from various, you know, it's pretty it's pretty commonly accepted that like a glass of wine in third trimester is yeah. It's fine. It's fine, yeah. Um, and she's like she's like, I'm gonna order a glass of wine and I was like, That's all right, you look fully cooked to me. <laughs> and I was like, God, that is rude. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I just said it. I, think I just I bit my would tongue. Only say that to somebody I knew. I think I probably, mm-hmm. unless I was drunk, then I might say it to a stranger. I wasn't drunk. Oy, oy, oy. She was getting drunk. Good for her. I know she earned it cooking that baby. She did. I agree. Um, I have some friends that they're because you know once you get in the hospital you don't um, 
get food when you're going to go into delivery. Oh, I didn't so, know that, but it makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm most of my friends it. who have had babies had their la- their quote unquote last meal, like when those, <gasps> when those, uh, what is the word? Contractions, Contractions begin. They're like, I'm going to this place, I'm eating this, and I'm drinking a beer. Like I have had multiple girlfriends who are like, oh yeah, I'm going to like start by getting drunk. I'm starting that birth because you, you don't get food for so many hours. And that it's gonna sucks. And it's going to relax your muscles. So you're supposed to have a beer before you deliver? Hey, if that baby's coming, you really can have whatever you want. Yeah. You might shit it out while the baby comes. You but will. Hey. But one of my friends who did a home birth drank one the whole time because it was rela- wow. a relaxing thing. And the doula was huh. like, the doula was like, let's drink wine and sing and welcome the baby. So oh, if there, there's nothing more Los Angeles than that sentence. I know. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that baby came in L.A. or not, but that's what they did. Sure and I think it's like beautiful. It. Hey, if that's uh, if somebody would tell me that's how my childbirth would go, I might be like, all right, I know, that let's do this. Kind of delightful. Let's make one. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's all I got. Anyway, that's a great clam check-in. Yeah. Let's uh, get to talking with our with our guests. Lindsay and I are so excited and like a little bit starstruck yes. about <laughs> our guest today. Uh, Rachel Krantz is an incredible journalist, podcaster, vegan. Uh, act, uh, do you identify with activist? I feel like totally. activist is a weird word to put on someone. It like. It feels like it's a demanding word. I feel yeah. like I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Activist, winner of a lot of awards that she told us before. We didn't have to name them all, but uh, all Google of the that, awards. Google that shit. Um, Google it. She, she's a feminist. She writes a lot about sex and about veganism. Um, her work has been seen in all of the fancy pants online journals that, yeah. that frequent your Facebook feed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're just so excited to yeah. talk with her today, mostly about sex, uh, specifically non- non-monogamy and alternative relationships, about her podcast, Honestly, though, which is so Listen good. Listen now. Download it. Subscribe. Do it. That's so good. Um, <laughs> and about and a little bit about veganism. Um, yeah. Welcome, Rachel. Welcome. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm yeah. so excited to talk about all my favorite things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is like a blind date. A little bit. It is. A little bit. Only yeah. like two on one. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we, we all just met. You haven't. You guys haven't met. No. Right? We've okay. like email corresponded. Right. Yeah. That's it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I saw your fantastic show oh. and uh, wrote a little so... thing about it, which and... made it, which was like more than a little thing for us. Like it drove a lot of traffic really? to us. Good. So I feel like really thank you for Good. that. Oh, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting piece of work, so I was happy to. Love that. Cool. (laughs) Yeah, so everybody's meeting, everybody's nervous, but it's great. It's great. (laughs) Uh, So the first question we ask everybody is, are you a feminist and why or why not? Yeah, I am a feminist, but lately I've been thinking about the label a little bit more critically um, because I read... Jessa Crispin's book, Why I'm Not a Feminist. Ooh, um, I haven't read that yet. It's good. It's a good read. I recommend it. It's very, uh, you know, solidly but easily argued in that, like, it's a pretty quick read for something that's, like, one of these, you know, thesis statements of a book. And she is, you know, basically probably what used to be called a radical feminist but she's talking about like why she doesn't identify that way anymore her basic argument is that it's been commodified and mainstreamed to such a degree 
um, that it's so tied in at this point with capitalism yeah. that that is the actual system we need to overthrow and that feminism has basically ceased to be something that threatens the status quo. And so it is part of the problem. If everyone can be a feminist, like it's right. no longer um, something that searches to grant equality to not just women, but everyone. And so I thought that that was a kind of interesting argument and something I've certainly seen happen mm-hmm. in my own, uh, you know, adult life of this sort of mainstreaming of feminism, which is on the one hand very exciting, but also being used to, you know, increase things like consumerism yes. or white privilege or yes. um, this idea that, you know, that she talks about if just because there's more women in the boardroom doesn't necessarily mean women are getting ahead or anyone's anything's improving. Like, it just means that now there'll be also women doing unethical things to the environment and mm-hmm. to workers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah. I still find the label um, useful personally, and I've identified as a feminist since I was, like, able to learn the word. I don't even remember when. <laughs> but um, I definitely have been keeping that critique in mind lately. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know if you saw that Vice piece about the um, safety pin box, but, like, I think about that a lot. But the women behind it are, you know, I feel like examples of entrepreneurial feminists, like, in the best way, and the intentions are good. But I, exactly what you're saying about, like, white privilege and guilt and being like, if I buy this thing, it'll make me feel better. Right. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, It's fascinating. I I always feel weird about buying feminist merch and I like want to know like where it's coming from and all that stuff. Well, I think exactly. Yeah. There's a difference uh, between someone who is making something in their house on Etsy, which I always am more keen to support versus Mm -hmm. buying a shirt from H&M that says, you know, feminist that was potentially made by you know, child workers, child workers yeah. and yeah. stuff. I think where we buy stuff really matters. Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like that H and M shirt definitely says "feminist AF." Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure what that's what it says. <laughs> it's like the more deeply you look into it, I feel like I'm all of a sudden wanting to jump to the veganism conversation because, like, the veganism, you know, the, the meat and dairy industry, the clothing industry. It's it's. It's like if you want to, if you want to, you know, have have these idealistic viewpoints and you know hold women's rights in this high esteem, like how can you do that and like trample over other creatures and totally. women in other countries yes. who are being abused and used by these things? Yes, and, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about what you feel is the intersection of fem- feminism and veganism, if, if there sure. is one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, that's really uh, key to why I became a vegan. So I I was vegetarian before I was vegan, um, and then I watched the movie Earthlings, uh, which they call The Vegan Maker. It's on YouTube. You can find it for free. Uh, uh, Joaquin down. Phoenix narrates it very sexily. Oh, um, and <laughs> it's, it's, you know, basically very straightforward, but it opens with the argument, really the only argument it makes, and then the rest is just presenting video footage of every aspect of basically every industry that uses animals in different ways. Um, but it opens with the argument that, okay, we, uh, you know, 
discrimination is always based on the same logic, which is that for one group, it's just different. So, like, we're allowed to control women's reproductive systems because it's just, and not men's, because they've historically just been different and viewed as male property. And what we're seeing now with reproductive rights is part of a long legacy of that, Um, you know have unequal rights for people of color because for uh, centuries the way people justified in this country bringing them over as slaves was that they are not like us. They're different. They're uh, maybe human but subhuman, separating people into those categories. And so what Earthlings makes the argument of is like we're all living sentient beings on this earth. Why is it different? Why is it just different for animal bodies when we know that they can feel pain, when they can mourn their children being taken away from them? On the heath, King Lear asked Gloucester, how do you see the world? And Gloucester, who is blind, answered, I see it feelingly. I see it feelingly. Three primary life forces exist on this planet. Nature, animals, and humankind. We enter as lords of the earth, bearing strange powers of terror and mercy alike. Human beings should love animals as the knowing of the innocent, and the strong love the vulnerable. It seems the fate of many animals is either to be unwanted by man or wanted too much. When I kind of saw that connection be made where I was like, oh, shit, you know, like this is what's always been done to every other group. And then I saw the footage, which was very upsetting. There was no way I could see the reality of what happens to dairy cows and not think of my feminism because it was so just blatant it's like I think what really got to me the most was like the stuff seeing the babies taken away over and over and I was just like you know why and and they're put on what the industry calls rape racks to be artificially inseminated it's like you know the animal agriculture animal agriculture and um is called husbandry, right? Mm-hmm. And it actually this gets into it's our so twisted our it like our like you know our connection to non monogamy later in this mm-hmm. conversation. It's all connected because um, the institution of marriage arose at the same time as the animal agriculture industry got formalized. This is way back with the agricultural revolution, and before that. As far as anthropologists can tell, like, there wasn't as strict boundaries of this idea of woman as property was not a concept. Um, And animal as property came basically around the same time or even maybe shortly before woman as property. The two have always been linked. You know, you have people training cows for women in marriage, dowries, like... Goats, um, whatever. Whatever you got. Exactly. It's all the same concept, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is that, like some bodies are just made to be owned. Mm -hmm. And so for me, my veganism is the natural extension of my feminism in saying, you know what, like, I don't believe anyone has a right to anyone's body. Um, And my 
belief is that I'm going to try to respect others' bodily autonomy and freedom wherever possible. And so, yeah, that's really the core of, of why I'm vegan. And then, and then beyond that, the more you learn about the industry and especially the connections with health, the more you realize this is a women's health issue. You know, it's one of the only things people have um, who have a history of ovarian cancer in their family can do that's been proven to prevent it. Um, it significantly lowers your rate of other reproductive cancers and breast cancer. But this is not super common knowledge yet because there's a lot of corp- its consciousness is definitely rising because all the research is just mounting too much for them to be able to hide it. But there's a lot of corporate interests, sure. you know, trying to hide it. So for me, this is like a women's health issue. Mm-hmm. It's an issue of um, intersectional feminism um, and, you know, I think we were talking before also of, of eco-feminism, this yeah. idea of we destroy, you know, I, I don't want to misquote the statistic, but it's it's like, a, I think it was three football fields a second. I have to double check it afterwards maybe, but um, in in the rainforest, like as part of this industry, you know, so besides the CO2 Mm -hmm. emissions, besides the fact that one hamburger takes as much water to make as a month's worth of showering, we also have that we're literally killing off our rainforests at a crazy rate, which is our planet's lungs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like the planet needs the rainforest for there to be enough oxygen. We're just deforesting the rainforest so that we can make more room for animals because we can't uh, have enough animals fast enough to eat. Um, so, like, this is a intersectional issue if there ever was one. But, yes, ecofeminism also argues that there's kind of that same idea. The, the, the patriarchy has always felt like we have dominion over women, we have right. dominion over animals, we have dominion over the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will do with them what we damn please. And so yeah. this is a way of saying, you know what? That's fucked up. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I protest. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, which I feel like we're watching, like, the ultimate example of that right now. We, we're yeah. about to become, like, the ultimate example of <sighs> being like, we do what we want, totally. uh, which is such a bummer. And you have it's Trump, so you know, wanting to back out of the Paris climate. I know, and just agreement. dangling that that decision Disgusting. with such such power hungry it it just makes my skin crawl totally and this is one of the things that i also didn't realize before i became vegan would be such a perk not that it is exactly you know the most comfort in these times but it is something concrete Mm -hmm. that everyone could do right if everyone just even had a meatless monday one day a week in this country it would be the equivalent of every car on the road switching from sedans to hybrids. Yeah. So that gives you an idea of the potential we have. It's really one of the only things we can do right, in this right. system to lessen our environmental footprint that drastically and to to basically try to combat climate change on our own. So, yeah, what I'm going to try to work on more um, in my new job as a lead writer at Mercy for Animals is – basically spreading that message and getting it so that like if you want to be woke like this needs to be something you consider because even if you don't consider yourself an animal person which I by the way did not at all before I uh, 
met my partner who was vegetarian mm-hmm. and that's like why I came to it and then watched the movie and that's why I became vegan. Um, this is still your issue. Right. This is mm-hmm. everyone's issue. If you have anyone in your family who's ever been sick of something and been made more sick by the healthcare system, like this is your issue. If you care about the environment, it's your issue. If you care about workers' rights, it's your issue because it it touches so much more than I ever realized. It's wild just how many ways in there is. Like for me, like, you know, I have history of an eating disorder. So like it can't be a health or a weight choice for me. But for me, I love animals. The thought it all started with a pig named Penelope. Oh. She's so sweet. But she, you know, she was uh, uh, abused and starved. And I found out that she had nightmares in which she would cry tears. And her, you know, dad would have to, like, snuggle with her in bed. And when I learned that, I just couldn't eat pigs anymore. And it kind of, yeah. like, ricocheted from there. And I was vegan for a little while, but I lapsed because I am very lazy. And I started to eat, like... Bread right. and vegan junk food, right. which is really easy to get and right. delicious. Right, especially in L.A. <laughs> it's, yeah. so, it's oftentimes better than non-vegan yeah. junk food. <laughs> it's really good. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely be an unhealthy vegan. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. You'll still be generally better off than uh, unhealthy non-vegan, but um, processed foods – yeah, the, when we talk about, like, the health benefits of a vegan diet, a lot of it is talking about a more whole foods mm-hmm. or plant-based diet, meaning, like, things that actually grew rather than were made in a lab. And it's hard. It's hard to transition um, if you don't cook a lot. I was really privileged in that, like, my partner has always been the cook. And awesome. so I just, like, eat his delicious food and <laughs> I don't have to work that hard with it. But... Even if you're not a big cook, which I know people who are not, you can have a healthy vegan diet, but it just requires doing a little reading. Um, there's so many resources online, like Choose Veg, I really recommend. Um, PETA has like a starter pack. All down. Yeah, I'll send you the whole oh, email. Oh, please do. Yeah. And I mean, seriously, anyone listening to this, just reach out to me on Twitter at Rachel Krantz, um, and I will like send you my whole starter guide thing and also like any way I I can support you um in in figuring it out but it's definitely it's definitely doable it's definitely just requires a little bit of you know making lists of like this Mm -hmm. is what I'm going to get at the grocery store or the snacks I'm going to keep on hand for when I'm hangry right or whatever else um but in general it's you know I think it's definitely worth another shot yeah I really want to like and I've always said that if I ever have kids like I really do want to raise them vegan yeah like I I don't want to contribute to this awful history right and we had our friend Amy on uh, Amy Ferguson for years yeah she's an amazing vegan she just went through entire pregnancy vegan has a four five month old now. She is a super baby. She he's a super baby. He's yeah. double the size of a kid his size. Yeah. I he know. can almost walk already and he's wow. like four and a half months old. That's actually like the second Insanity. vegan baby I've met or like heard about who I met this other one who was like very like big And he's and they, super chubby yeah. in all the right ways. Yeah, yeah. totally. No, he's I mean adorable it's, and it's super. A, done correctly, it is the healthiest diet that yeah, there yeah. is. And that's I mean, just getting to really quickly what you were talking about, not being able to do it for health reasons, I totally get. And that's one thing I want to address because 
that was actually a fear of mine that held me back from even watching Earthlings was I had come out of um, a period a few years before of just having an, a really unhealthy relationship with food for the first time in my life, really. I was had, you know, thin privilege my whole life and still did, but then I, you know, graduated college, got a a job that was a night shift and was really stressed out and unhealthy and Mm -hmm. basically gained some weight for the first time in my life and deemed this unacceptable. So Mm -hmm. I sort of delved into really more like orthorexic behavior where I was like these, I thought, you know, oh, I thought I have a a gluten allergy. I thought I have this, I cut out sugar, I cut Mm -hmm. out this, you know, this food, that food's unhealthy, this is unhealthy. Um, And then I would sort of like, like only eat strictly during the day and then like binge on the allowed foods at night till I felt just, it was just became the punishment and reward of yep. food. And I had, you know, like worked on that in therapy and then gotten into this new relationship with someone who was a really good cook and that helped. <laughs> and, Especially if he's cooking like good vegetarian food. Totally. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, all right, I feel like I have a good relationship with food again. I'm a little afraid to mess with this. Like if I'm about to cut out a bunch of foods, yeah. isn't that just kind of going to be like triggering the same stuff or just a different kind of mm-hmm. orthorexia basically? And... But when I saw the video, I was like, I don't really feel like I have a choice. Yeah. Like, I can't participate in this yeah. now that I know. And what was so cool about it, and I wrote an article about this, but I'd like to keep updating on it because it's always a work in progress. And I think the headline is a little misleading. It's on Bustle, and it says, like, how going vegan healed my relationship with my body and my food. I mean, that's true, but I don't mean it to imply that, like, poof, it's healed. I never have issues anymore because right. that's definitely not true. <laughs> like veganism is not a it's cure not, for an eating disorder. No, it is not. <laughs> but I will say it shifted the paradigm so wonderfully mm-hmm. because as women were trained to just think about, like, what is this food going to do to me and my body? You know, like, mm-hmm. is this going to make me, uh, you know, not have flat abs? <laughs> is this going to be <laughs> right. whatever the fuck it is? And Instead, like, veganism shifted it for me of, like, I, what will I allow to be done to my food? Like, Mm. that's how, that's my only rule. And, Hmm. you know, I still have certain things that I, I'm still relatively into eating whole foods, not a ton of processed foods, but, like, I feel like I have more joy around food than I Mm -hmm. ever did. I'm less likely to ever view food as a punishment because I'm so much more grateful that I can just eat with such, you know, abundance without hurting anyone. And I guess because I'm not, because I'm eating more in line with my values, I think a lot of eating disorders, I mean, it's very complicated for everyone. So for me anyway, though, it was an extension of like wanting to have a sense of like morality and control and order to my life Mm -hmm. and like eating is so fundamental it's something we do every day it makes sense that especially when we're messaged of of everything about our bodies that this would be the place that we would one of the places we would turn to to try to control Mm -hmm. or be at war with ourselves or whatever and this just sort of made the rule very simple Mm -hmm. and 
the morality was not about my body. It was about something much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. And for me, that ended up being a very positive shift. It didn't heal everything completely, but I I definitely um, felt, I just feel much more empowered yeah. than I did before because it's, yeah, it's not a fear-based diet. Right. It's like a love-based diet. And so in so doing, I, I, ex- I guess what I wrote in that piece is like, you know, because it's tied to my feminism, I am protesting, you know, the idea that any animal should just be treated like a piece of meat. And in so doing, I'm also reminding myself that I'm not just a piece yeah. of meat. Yeah. Oh, that's know? really beautiful. So, yeah. Um, that's really cool. I do. I, like I definitely, it's not rainbows all the time or like right. that all the time, but I, I do think, um, it, and I'm not the only person I've talked to who's had that experience of it being a, a healing yeah. thing or, or something that shifted the way they thought about food. Well, your 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 life gets so at least my life got so small in my eating disorder, and mm-hmm. my thoughts were all about myself mm-hmm. and about my body uh, and 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 about what I was putting in my body. That it's like a really cool, empowering way to get your brain off of yourself, right? And that's got to shift something in your totally. neuro pathways while still maintaining <laughs> that sense of uh, order in right. a way, right. boundary, yeah. which. Look, like everyone, I think to expect that people are not going to crave that at all, like there's a big thing now of just like, just eat whatever you want. And like, that's like an empowered woman and just like, you know, which yes, I mean, eat whatever you want so long as it's not the product of suffering, I would say. Mm -hmm. But um, absolutely. But also I think it's unrealistic to expect that people don't want a morality or order to what they put in their bodies because it's very important what we put in our bodies and that's why religions have all these rules around what you can and can't eat is because people have always done this and they're they're always going to do that yeah um and they're always searching for the the correct you know paleo i think is like about a return to our natural state or whatever Mm -hmm. which is ironic because actually plant-based diet diet is much closer to what we used to eat but anyway and i feel like i feel like too is like especially if um Especially if we're faced with uh, four more years of what we have right now, I feel like just even fighting to know what's in your food is going to yes. become a, bi- a bigger fight. Just yes. even like knowing, getting the label of like who, where it came from, who put what in your food is going to get really hard, I think, yeah. because we're it moving towards is. less regulation of MAGA world where men are doing what they want. So yeah. it is, yeah. Own. So being, is, uh, it is really interesting of like, um, I just feel like I need more discipline. There's like some things for me that I feel like would be really hard to give up. But I, but listening to you, it's like such an empowering form of oh. of protest. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I I'll send you guys the starter guide. Please do. I would just yeah. say, yeah, go to go to chooseveg.com if anyone's listening, or just Google like vegan starter guide. There's so much out there where you can get sample shopping lists or meal plans or just snack ideas and. Um, yeah, I mean, start with like a day a week and see how you feel or go up, you know. Yeah. And so it, like I said, if everyone did it even just a day a week, that would be a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know. Clams, we're going to challenge all of you listeners <laughs> to implement a meatless Monday. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to let you transition us from veganism to sex. You kind of hit on it a little bit of like with the word control and like yeah. not feeling like a piece of meat. But yeah. for you, like where is the intersection between veganism and the idea of autonomy of the body? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I guess it's this idea that I'm going to try to live in a way as much as possible, even when it's challenging, uh, that's in line with my values and that is based more in love than it is in fear. And so that would be one overlap. It would also be the idea that you can't really own anyone as much as you might want to um, or their bodies and that maybe ownership does not is not actually what um, commitment is. Um, I think that we're taught to think that commitment and ownership or commitment and monogamy are the same thing. Uh, and what I've learned is it actually takes a lot of commitment anyway <laughs> to, to try to make a, a serious non-monogamous uh, primary partnership function. Uh, takes a lot of commitment to communication and stuff like that. So that's part of it. And then I guess, yeah, what we were talking about earlier with this idea of, well, isn't that interesting that the concept of monogamy and, um, and animal agriculture arose at the same time, that there's this tie to the idea that um, women can be property and animals can be property. So, And then, you know, on a personal level, the crossover is that both came into my life at a similar time with my partner um, and, you know, and also that people's both, both identities make me interesting to people and also weird and threatening sometimes. <laughs> I get a lot of similar responses to both identities of like, oh, good for you, but I could never do that. Right. Like, it's a kind of interesting crossover. I would say people tend to be much more at least outwardly combative about veganism. That's, oh, that's fascinating. That's really crazy. Yeah. That a might just bit. be like living in LA <laughs> yeah. or New yeah. York, but... Um, For a yeah. tiny bit yeah. of context, yeah. um, if you listen to Rachel's podcast, you <laughs> will learn this, but Rachel is in a non-monogamous relationship. Mm -hmm. And you've spoken very openly, both you and your partner, on your podcast about it. Yeah. Um, so I met Jesse two and a half years ago, and he... I had just gotten out of a relationship, like, barely, and I was doing the thing I always do where I'm like, I'm just going to date around, but then meanwhile, like, meet someone, and then I'm like, actually, I'm already in love with you, and we just met. Let's be in a relationship, and I could tell this was going to happen with him by our second date, even though I could also tell, like, he was a really kind of different type of man than I'd ever dated before. I'd dated before mostly, like, more like, you know, just more man children, for lack of a better word. Like, very <laughs> partial. Very well, partial. I York. was in New York You're then. New York. But, yeah, same thing. Like, yeah. um, you know, places I would, even after dating for a long time, sometimes, like, shower when I got back from their place because it was just a little <laughs> grimy. Like, <laughs> that was my type. This dude was, like, you know, seven years older, a professor, you know, did yoga every day, a oh chef, my. like the whole thing, clearly very, and I was like, what is this 
trap, you know, <laughs> like, what do you want? Um, so I, but I was into it and, uh, but I said like before we even kissed or anything, you know, I just got out of a relationship and he said to me, well, you should know about me that if you're with me, I would never restrict you. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He said, well, it means that you, what's important to me is that I have a primary partner. If you were that primary partner for me, so long as I was privileged, basically, and that you were honest with me and uh, the relationship was prioritized, you could have, you could sleep with other people, you could date other people, you could even have other relationships or fall in love with other people, so long as that could still be true. And I was like, oh, so you're Polly, because I had heard of that and, you know, read even Sex at Dawn, which is a book about it and uh, been curious about it always, but just never dated anyone I could imagine trying it with, would always get kind of nauseous at the idea. And when he brought it up, I felt like that surge of nausea, but mm-hmm. <laughs> of just like, oh shit, like here's the catch, you know, here's yeah. the, I was looking for like why this perfect guy is interested and it's because like he, you know, has this catch about him. And, uh, but I was like, all right, I mean, I just got out of a relationship. This person seems really mature. I'll see where it goes. Yeah. We fell in love like incredibly quickly. Basically that second date, I stayed over and never left. Like we moved in <laughs> immediately. It was ridiculous. Wow. I've never lived with anyone before. It was just sort of one of these cliche things where you're just like, oh, okay. Like this there is, there you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would bring it up again, sometimes basically reminding me like that I wasn't restricted and I'd freak out in the beginning and be like, why are you bringing this up? You just want to be with other people and feel myself react very mm-hmm. jealously. And um, he was like, no, I'm, I don't actually. He was like, I just want you to know like that's still the deal. And I, as we continued dating, I said, okay, well, that's interesting to me and that sounds good but I feel like I don't know you well enough yet that I can trust, you know, trust you or really like feel like I can build this or feel solid if you're dating other people. And I was, so he was like, you know, I'm not that interested in that right now anyway. I'm okay with you seeing how this works. I will, I will bring this up in the future because it's important to me at some point to have at least some of the same freedoms that I believe in affording someone. But he, for him, it's really a very moral thing. He's pretty moral. And um, he just didn't believe in restricting anyone that mm-hmm. way. So for the first year, he was monogamous and I was not. And wow, most of which was That's so mature of him. I have to say, yeah. he's yeah. very unusual. That's wild. Mature. Yeah. yeah, and um, but it was smart of him too, right? You know, like basically exposed long game. He's playing the long game. He yeah. was, and he and he always was very clear about that, which I think is part of why it's made it doable for me. Is that he's I've never had. I've never been in a non-monogamous relationship before, but I've also never been in a relationship this serious, this committed, this much where someone, you know, so early on just was like, I want to be with you. Like, this is it. Like, you're you're what I want. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, you know, like, that, I, that's like in the movies. That's yeah. not supposed to actually happen and you, like, want it back. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, I had this 
anxiety at the same time as, as I was, as I was exploring it on my own, which was really more experiences with him too. Um, basically going to some sex parties, going, having some, with him, you did with him. So that wasn't like on my were own. You still, this is a, this is just like my own curiosity. Yeah. Were you still in New York or were you in, in LA New York, at that point? In New York, yeah. 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 Um, I have a, I have like several friends in New York that uh, have very similar arrangements to you, and I just have more friends there. Yeah, in that world than here, which it's is interesting. interesting. Yeah. It's big here too, but yeah, I guess I had more friends there too. Or um, yeah, so it was like doing that first, and then uh, some like threesomes where it was just another guy, and just like all the attention on on me, which was that awesome, nice. and. And so I was like just loving all that, and yeah. but I wasn't. And then I did start kind of hanging out with this one guy more on my own. And it was around that time that I, I guess, a little more than a year in, decided to basically like come out on the podcast and talk with Jesse about it. And that first episode that I have him on to talk about it, I, you can hear me. Like, I'm readying myself. I've basically just given permission for him to also be open. And literally after we recorded the podcast that night, we went out and we were hanging out at this restaurant we always hang out at that was more like a backyard. And this woman walked in alone, and I could just tell right away it was like one of those moments where yeah. life is like, okay, bitch, <laughs> like, you know, talk about this on your podcast, like, here you go. I was like, this is going to be a thing. And it was. And um, and they started going out on a couple dates, and oh my god, I was like sick. I I felt I have never felt that I don't think quite that uncomfortable for that mm-hmm. sustained amount of time. Maybe maybe a couple other incidents, but it was I I didn't even identify as a jealous person before because I honestly, when I'd been in monogamous relationships, I'd never been like jealous in those mm-hmm. um and uh but yeah I was super jealous super filled with fear like you know like sick to my stomach literally yeah. like intense physical reaction but I just kept feeling like I wanted to keep pushing past that feeling or seeing if I could maybe because I'm I don't know, maybe because I knew it was necessary if I wanted to stay with him. Um, and maybe because it was like I just wanted I, – I loved him so much and I knew logically that this none, nothing that was happening was a threat and that actually the only thing that probably would threaten the relationship would be me being too overly restrictive or possessive. Like what he was asking for was not even that much – really um and I and I loved him and I wanted to be able to give him the same freedom he'd given me because I'd felt how like every experience I'd had with other people it had only made me feel more committed to him more in love with him like more proud of us Hmm. because it's this amazing feeling when you're like I can commit to you and build a life with you and also like we're not going to, like, cut off each other's future experiences. Like, we don't have to make that trade. Obviously, there'll be compromises, but that always really got to me. Obviously, I'm really sensitive to this. 
idea of being restricted or having my body restricted. Right. I hate offices. It's like why well, I'm vegan, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and I had always felt that in every relationship of just gradually like a resentment of having my future experience restricted. It wasn't even like so much about being able to like hook up with other people. It was like the feeling of going on a trip and being alone and being like, well, I don't know who, I'll, what stranger right. I'll meet and, and what can happen. And, um, it's just a really cool feeling to be able to be in a serious relationship and not have to give up that sense of like not knowing what the future holds romantically, especially yeah. if you like romance, which I, right. which I do. Mm-hmm. Can I ask? Yeah, go for it. Oh, do we have you, so many questions. Have so many. Yeah. <laughs> do you tell the other partners or like people that you date? Do you tell them about your non-monogamy and about your primary partner? Yes, definitely. Yes. So it's all um, out there on the profile, like on OkCupid. You can actually link profiles. Mm. Um, so like when you go to mine, it has a little link to his. So it's up top. Then I'm in an open relationship and. That I really um, feel is very important to disclose right, right away. And I always answer whatever questions people have even before we go out about the arrangement. Like nothing too personal. Obviously, I'm really open with it even publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's always. There's plenty of people on Okiki, but I'm on there who are. Uh, in a relationship and like yours say. And, and do not say. And I, I feel and they'll like say, that's And they'll say when you're in a conversation, you've been talking to them for a long time, and they're like, P.S., I'm going to send you a picture of my girlfriend like right now. Is, and uh, are you into it? And you're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Would have loved that information uh, yeah. up top. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I've learned from this is like non-monogamy is kind of hard. Yeah. But um, – Ethical non-monogamy is very hard. Yeah. There's so many things that come up. Because um, there's it. still a lot of judgment about it. So a lot of judgment. I, I, I don't 100% judge those people that don't put it up top if they are honest about it, like, fairly quickly. Yeah. But I feel like they're doing themselves a disservice because... Yeah. I mean, it's it's tricky. It's like Jesse in, in many a jealous rage I've thrown back at him like you didn't put it on your profile that you were non-monogamous you tricked me he's like I told you before we even kissed like (laughs) you know like and and I think that's fair it's true I might have never gone out with him if I had seen that on his profile but I do think that you know when you're in a situation like ours where the there is a real serious primary partnership I feel like or just even a primary partnership rather than maybe like it's your identity on your own and you're single. I do think there's an ethical, I, I think you have to disclose it's not fair to the other person to spring that on them mm-hmm. mid-date because yeah, it might just not be what they want. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's fascinating. I love the title of your podcast, by the way. Honestly. Oh, thank was, you. Like, I, lo- I love it because I was having a conversation with a man I was on a date with just the other night and he was like, he basically was like, yeah, monogamy I don't think is a realistic thing anymore. And I'm still grappling with my feelings about monogamy too. But he also was kind of like, but I also want to be married. And can't people just be French about it? Because it would probably yeah. it would probably kill me like yeah. if I was married and I knew. And I feel very the opposite because I'm like very prefer honesty and openness. And yeah. I even like it when a man is like, I'm attracted to that woman. It, yeah. Like Just by like saying it out loud 
like take some pressure off the situation yes. like for sure like yeah. secrecy kills me yeah so um anyway I love your title and, oh, I, and I was like you. wondering if if your your life inspired inspired that as well like the title of the podcast yeah well I mean when I thought of what I wanted the podcast to be I was I was uh on the bustle podcast I want it that way which is our sex and relationships podcast but I kept wanting to like take it you know, that was like a bunch of girls chatting and I kept wanting to do like side interviews and they liked them. So they wanted me to do a spinoff. And um, at first they wanted it to just be about sexual health. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, okay, what would be a good title for that? I knew I sort of wanted that format of just one interview because I was raised on Fresh Air and that's still like one of my favorite, you know, interviewers and just sort of do that, but shorter format. But what was important to me that the common thread would always be honesty and trying to push to have a really just honest, more vulnerable conversation, especially if we're going to be talking about sex and relationships. Um, because, and that's that's why I felt the need to be honest about my own. And it felt mm-hmm. once I was doing the show for a while to be in the closet about being non-monogamous didn't feel very honest so that's why I felt right to come out on the podcast and that's also why I really try to just be as open as possible about everything including the parts that are messy and unpleasant about it because I feel like a lot of what I've was reading before was very helpful about non-monogamy but it was like either depictions of it or, you know, why this is the greatest thing ever. And it's like people have been doing it for 10 years who have great advice to give, but like, I don't even get jealous or whatever else, which is, which can happen. Um, or it's like people who tried it and it went horribly wrong or it's a caricature of it. And I was just interested in kind of depicting in real time a little bit, you know, you can hear the, the first episode we did about it. I sound like so, it's just a little capsule of where I am in that moment before he even met that woman that night. And then by the next week I was like, okay, I have to, I have to, you know, add an addendum to the end and be like, look, I didn't even know then what I know now. And it's constantly shifting. And all I can do is promise to try to be honest about where I'm at and not too uh, sure of myself about anything, especially when it comes to like giving people advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where are you and Jesse at now? So Jesse's on a date tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so this is awesome to be like talking about this right now because I, you know, I've been pretty good with it. Is it the same woman from the party? No, no. no. This is someone, it's only a a second date. So, um, but he's also been going out with someone else on a few other dates. So they had a date on Sunday. And he asked me, like, I've been doing, you know, really pretty well with my jealousy because, I don't know, I was having some good experiences here on my own, which always helps. And then and then I sort of... Are you guys distanced right now? No. No, no he's, he's, okay. he's here. Yeah, we, we live together and all that. So... Um, then, you know, this, the thing that's so funny about it is you start getting smug. You start getting <laughs> like, oh, I'm so good at this. Like, I'm all about it. And, <laughs> and especially, like, he had um, someone he had started seeing in New York shortly before we left. Um, 
and, you know, maintained a friendship with and they still were like talking. And I found when we moved here, I was feeling really like jealous of that. And I never met her. And, um, and I was just like, oh, who's he texting and stuff, like feeling the pings of that coming up. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the advice of uh, Dedeker Winston, who she, I interviewed her on one, honestly, though, episode about how polyamorous relationships work. And she's a a coach and the author of this really good book I recommend if you're interested in any of this called The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory. And one of her top tips for like managing jealousy was meet your metamors, which is the the poly term for basically your partner's partner, right? Whoa. Um, and she was like, it basically always helps. Even if you're not friends, it always usually helps just because it makes you see them as like a real person right. who has flaws and is not just like this imaginary supermodel, supermodel who's yeah. going to like <laughs> steal your man or some <laughs> shit. And it also helps break down this culture of, you know, one of the things about jealousy that was so interesting to me and has been cool to feel it begin to lessen is that in the beginning, my total tendency was to be like that bitch like like to like turn against the woman be like I bet she's fucking like wanting to you know like just yeah. these vile yeah. like sure. really scorned woman scorned feelings, woman feelings yeah. like which I think is like us a, a trope in literature and film and television totally. totally and it's like I felt how these ways I didn't even realize I'd been trained to just like turn on other women Oof. for like getting in on my man or something <laughs> and it was so cool that I you know finally took her advice and I texted um this woman and like we've had this like amazing texting friendship spring up and I'm gonna meet her in August but like we text each other now about all our you know boy problems and like (laughs) and she's really cool and it makes it so I'm not really jealous anymore if he's talking to her and instead it feels like this very open generous thing where it's like I can talk with Jesse like oh did you hear about like her date last night or whatever you know and it's kind of it's kind of cool and it's kind of very I just feel empowered by it because I feel like secure and I feel like I'm not viewing in that situation this other woman is like my enemy right but rather like my ally and like even sometimes that I can like bitch about you know Jesse with her if I wanted to like that's even hilarious um and she'll kind of like you know know and also love him and so right um or not love him I don't know about that I shouldn't put that in her mouth but um so that's that's cool I don't know how I got on that train okay so I was doing that and then I was feeling very smug of like I like befriended my metamore and Mm -hmm. I just had this like really fucking amazing sexy encounter with this guy I've liked for a while and it was actually lived up to everything I was hoping which hasn't happened that's so rare (laughs) basically since Jesse that hasn't happened and but then of course like that week I didn't really like hear much from him and I was starting to like PMS and I was like "Uh, I'm not feeling as secure anymore and I don't have anything else lined up and he lives in a different city and knowing Jesse had some stuff lined up started to make me feel anxious. And then he, like, checked in with me about, oh, it's okay if I do Sunday and Wednesday. And I just was, like, felt myself completely <laughs> jealous reaction. Yeah. 
and it, it lasted for, I basically have been coming out of it the last day or so, but yeah, it lasted like over the weekend. And now I know a little bit more how to sit with it, mm-hmm. how to think about it, how to talk about it, what to do to mitigate it. Um, but it's still really just this constant humbling experience where I'm just like, oh, this is a hard thing. It's, you know, it's a constant uh, struggle to mm-hmm. sit with these feelings and learn how to how to deal with them. And also not just how to deal with jealousy, but how to think about like, well, what do I want my relationship to look like? Because I guess it's always going to be changing and right. shifting. And it's a sort of living, breathing way of being in the relationship that like, Maybe, you know, like, is two dates a week too much for me right now? Right. Um, I'm not sure. Like, I have to see, like, if that became a regular thing, I have to see. But it's this sort of process of, like, continually seeing, trying to afford him as much freedom as he would afford me, but also being able to communicate when I'm starting to feel like, you know what, this is getting too too anxiety-provoking for me or it's feeling too much, like, uh, a big part of our relationship it's this exercise in neuroplasticity like every time he goes out and then he comes back and the thing I feared would happen doesn't it kind of rewires things a little bit more right. but there's always more things to fear right like sure. I can get used to x y and z and then it can go a step further and then it's a whole new set of fears and um you know if we stay together, I'm sure, or I age, and, like, that'll bring a right. whole other set of fears. That's, that's one of the questions whatever that else. pops up. I so, love how you said if. If I age. If I age. <laughs> if, I'm lucky, if I'm lucky enough to age. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so, I mean, this one writer who I recommend, um, Kathy Labriola, she wrote a book called Love and Abundance, and she's a therapist. She has a really, that book's a lot about the psychology of jealousy, and she says that, she views jealousy as kind of like a a smoke alarm in that like it can start beeping and its job there is to keep you safe, but you can like check it and see like, oh, is it just like, does the battery need to be changed ah. or like, is it, is the house on fire? <laughs> and so I'm, I guess I'm trying to get a little better at verbalizing things before it's at the point where the house is on fire because when we first started doing this my tendency was to just push it push it push myself until I basically was like I can't do this like you need to get you know I had a meltdown about it and he ended up having to like cancel his date right and stuff so I'm trying not to ever let it get to that point as much to try to talk about it uh as discomfort arises but also know when sometimes I mean, it's also just getting more familiar. I'm like, oh, I've been here before. Like, Mm -hmm. I've had this feeling before. I don't know. I went on a date with someone who had been poly a long time, and he was kind of describing it as, like, you just get better at choosing which feelings to go with. Mm. (laughs) Like, you feel the jealousy still, but you sort of know it better as you make friends with it a Mm -hmm. little, and you're like, okay, I could go with the fear right now but I'm know that it also works for me to like go with um having a distraction or like turning this into a night where I just do whatever the fuck I want like that's another tip that I think uh is useful or like extending love if you feel scared about not receiving it like you can 
you know, call your best friend or your mom. Mm -hmm. And like that actually really helps in just like taking the focus off yourself. Um, there's all these tricks you start to, to learn. Yeah. Do you have rules about like, like if he, he's going on this date tonight, does yeah. he need to come home? Um, ye, I'm, so we don't like phrase it that way, but yeah, that's pretty severe I, the way that I phrased yeah, it. No, well, I was just going mean, to say that what was so beautiful to me about your episode with a woman uh, and about this whole, I, I, for people who are not non-monogamous, uh, the woman who wrote uh, Smart Girls Guide, who was on your episode, I don't know if you, you said it or she said it or it was like a combined thing, that like people cannot put rules on other people. Like we are autonomous beings and that like it is unrealistic to promise to somebody you will be together forever. Like right. that is like an insane, that's an right. insane promise to right. make. Right. And I just feel anybody who's dating anybody should hear that. Whether yeah. you're gay, straight, gonna be monogamous not gonna be monogamous right. i feel like those are such important things to remember that like you are responsible for your happiness it's like true the other person oh, it's is not so hard though but it's we're like be, sold it's, the idea that it's not i we totally women. are mm -hmm. we totally are and i didn't mean to like totally uh sidetrack the rules because I, but the word rule was really powerful to me when i heard that because um like my main experience i had like one relationship that was like very non-traditional and at some points, we were both aware that it was, like, non-monogamous, but it was, like, fucked up because it was, like, right. not honest. Right. And it was, like, not a discussion about right. non-monogamy. Right. But I've, like, never been – I would say I've never been, like, a full-on traditional relationship where, like, everybody is, like, open about, like, what's happening. And, right. like, um, it, it was just so powerful to me. And, like, it made the idea, like, really beautiful to me. Yeah, it's, like, I mean, really it's, it sounds <laughs> – it's one of those things where it sounds great and you're, like, I know you're right, but also, like, how do you do how that? Do we, yeah. Yeah. And that's, hard. that's hard. why it's hard. It's but work. Like anything is the, it's relationship work. is work. Yeah. But she also the distinction she talks about that's been helpful to me recently that I've been trying to keep in mind is the distinction between rules and boundaries. So so the way I would phrase it, for example, is I just express to him like, hey, um, if you're able to be back more by like around midnight tonight, that would be preferable to me. Like you don't have to be but just so you know because I've noticed you know like when it's much later than that on a weeknight it tends to affect my sleep and like then my next day at work and then I resent that and mm. and he knows then he's like okay he said I'll keep that in mind so that means like probably in practice he'll end up coming home I'm guessing tonight around like 12 30 or something like sure. that you know and uh or maybe not maybe sooner uh, but I guess the curfew thing, we've tried to keep a little looser, like to know there's these rough guidelines of like, this is basically what fucks up the other person's next day mm -hmm. or night, but also to have it be too, too strict feels a little defeating the purpose because sure. then it's like, then the person feels resentful if they're having a really awesome time. But yeah, stuff, but we do kind of, we're not totally there with the no rules at all thing. Like we do have, I think, I mean, you can call them boundaries, maybe whatever. Yeah. It gets a little indistinct, but like, um, you know, we need, if anyone else we're involved with to have had a recent STD test, like the days of the sex party are, are, are gone <laughs> in terms of, at least for now um wanting to be safer about that and like know someone more and and trust that when they say they've been tested um so things like that or 
uh, I'm sure if we get to the point with sleepovers, which hasn't actually really come up besides when he visited this person in New York, um, we'll have to figure it out then. Sure. Um, but yeah, right now it's like the main, the main rules or boundaries are the STD thing and complete honesty, not keeping secrets from each other or, or the other people. Um, and what else? Oh, not nothing, nothing in our bed in the other person oh. isn't there. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, you yeah. know, like I had someone over to the house when he was out of town, but like for him, that was like an important thing of knowing and I get it. And I said the same thing. I was like, you know what? I think after he sprung asking about the two dates on me and we had just yeah. woken up in bed, I was like, I think I'd like the same thing of just like, can we not have the bed be a space where we like negotiate these things? Because yeah. we both just want to keep it the place where we just have sex together or, you know, sleep and yeah. come. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just no jealousy associated with this space. Yeah. Have you had anyone try and or like want to become your primary partner um no I had someone I was dating in New York be a little bit like jealous um because that seems like a whole but that's a whole other set of emotions to kind of be yeah managing I know yeah and I it was a turn off just because I that's that's part of the deal I mean, there's this part of women that have also been trained. It's like it's a turnoff, and at the same time, it's like a fantasy. It's another fantasy that you think yeah. you have. So of, that you're being chased. Like, you're being chased, yeah. and like you're gonna have, have two men fighting. Two men over, want me. Yeah, right. <laughs> and like that's the whole thing of like the uh, you know MFM threesome too. It's mm -hmm. like that fantasy, and I realized I had a lot of that in myself. This idea of every time I would meet a new man and be like, he's gonna whisk me away from from Jesse, and like because he'll just It'll be like you can't. Even though I didn't want to be whisked away he's from gonna Jesse, have a horse. he's just gonna have. He's just one. gonna have a yeah. horse. <laughs> it was more like for me. It tends to be like he has an, you know, an RV, and he's like really grungy. He's like, you know, he's like all right, camping I'm all a theme the time. Here. <laughs> oh Jesse's not that at all. So I'm like, he'll be I that love, guy. I love that. Um, I love that. We'll just fantasy. be like wandering. Amazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> off the grid. <laughs> and um, and then I would actually conspiracy theorist like <laughs> have a chance to to date these guys and that's what was so interesting about it too is like I would mostly lose interest after a few dates the way I yeah. probably would have before or maybe before I would have turned it into a relationship that shouldn't have been but I could see with much more clarity like oh like this is the fantasy but then this is the actual reality so the fantasy yeah sometimes exists that maybe someone someday will try to you know take me away mm -hmm. and it'll be very romantic and whatever but um, I also don't want that in reality. It would be much, I can see how Jesse's very compatible for me in most ways. I hope I end up staying with him. Um, and yeah, I don't, but you don't know. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you always been so, I mean, I don't, I've known you for an hour and 11 minutes, <laughs> but, but you are very open about your sexuality. Have you always been in touch with your sexuality? Was it a, a, a journey for you? I grew up Catholic, so I have so many yeah. hang-ups. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I've always been relatively open. I didn't start writing about it 
much till I was at Bustle. I don't mm-hmm. think just because I, I found that I was really interested in creating that content and I saw how well that content did at reaching people that I sort of felt like, well, this is one of the things I need to do with this position because mm-hmm. I could be, you know, talking about things honestly and my own experience and uh, that that's sort of all I can do is represent where I'm at with things or represent um, the ways I'm thinking about sex and especially like that as my late 20s thinking of an early 20s audience and like what have I what have I learned in this decade that was useful that Mm -hmm. might be helpful to talk about Um, but yeah no I'm I'm lucky that my parents were pretty open they're like you know jewish liberal mm-hmm. somewhat hippie my mom sometimes is too open um <laughs> i was like talking to her the other day and i mean now we're at a good place with it and i was telling her she had a date that she thought might lead to something and i was like use a condom and she was like really i should but why i was like oh no mom mom <laughs> stds and then senior citizens <laughs> so it's like it's come full circle but she yeah she was always pretty pretty open so I think that might be part of it um made it easier for me mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and your your parents know about your non-monogamy they do well I'm actually not I need to talk to my dad about it I never officially came out to him verbally because um I knew he was like reading a lot of my stuff so I think that he's just seen it that yeah. way but then I also wanted to write about it more and kind of had this experience of realizing I needed to finally assert to them that I didn't want them to read all my stuff. Right. Um, so, which they have respected, I think. So I think he knows, but he hasn't brought it up with me and I haven't brought it up with him. But um, I don't think he'll have a problem with it. It's more my mom I was open with about it because we tend to talk about that stuff more. But... You know, when I was feeling more fear, fearful about it um, or just having jealous moments and reached out to her, she sort of fed into a lot of that fear mm-hmm. because I think her tendency is to be, like, protective and um, sure. think that this is, you know, I noticed a lot of people with this, the tendency is to think it's the man, like, manipulating right. you into doing it. Right. Um, and... So it was kind of like feeding into that narrative for me. And I realized, like, I don't know if it's actually healthy for me to be talking about it with her because I also don't want her to, if I'm upset because Jesse's on a date, I don't want her being upset with Jesse, you know, like in the future and resenting him for it. So I sort of keep it more separate. But she does, she does know in general that we're at least some form of Mm -hmm. Mm non-monogamous. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, work, I'm out on my twitter pretty much mm-hmm. um yeah but not not to every family member not to right. everyone it's a kind of i don't know i don't think i would try to actively hide it anymore mm-hmm. but i yeah it's sort of hard to know when it, to bring it up mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so many stigmas around yeah. it what do you have any like we have to sadly wrap up shortly here but do you have any sort of stigma bashing (laughs) thoughts you'd like to leave our audience with if they're feeling skeptical or feeling 
judgmental, which hopefully they are. Hopefully they aren't <laughs> after listening to this. Um, well, if you're feeling judgmental, I understand. Like I, I used to, you know, judge in certain ways open relationships too because we've been programmed to think that's outside the norm right. and um, all these beliefs we hold on to that it means it's a sort of lesser sort of love or it must be because the people have, you know, are sex addicts or have problems with commitment or something like that. Um, I guess I'd just say, like, usually if you're feeling judgment, that's a feeling to examine in yourself and maybe where that's coming from. And then just you don't have to do it, but maybe, (laughs) maybe learn more about it and see because it... Part of that feeling might be a fear-based reaction you're having um, in in the same way of like a lot of people get really defensive about the fact that I'm vegan when I don't even bring it up. It's usually because on some level they feel uncomfortable with eating animals. The more, you know, and so then they have to really defend defend it. It's kind of a similar thing. Like the only people who... Um, tend to be really intense about like why are you non-monogamous that's crazy it's people who have baggage around that a lot of the times which we all do and that's fine but um, yeah or listen listen to some of my podcast episodes there's several not just the ones with me and Jesse but the ones of uh, someone who has two boyfriends that's a great episode and Emma was on about talking about managing jealousy and um and, po- and Dedeker's episode about polyamory. There's several, so yeah. you can learn more there for sure. <laughs> and I feel like you talk about it in such a way that, again, what I was getting at before, I feel like anybody who's out there dating or trying to figure out their feelings about like relationships in the current world, which I feel like are incredibly complicated, maybe more complicated than ever, I feel like you guys talk about it in a way that is like so helpful, and anybody who's out there dating or trying to figure out their own thing uh it's for your podcast is for everyone is my point oh thank you (laughs) yeah yeah it really is for sure exciting yeah yeah welcome to the clam bake it's the opposite of a sausage fest just a couple of vaginas talking what's a creative podcast network